0: Hello, I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to a new series of A Winning Mindset brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner, Allianz. Our aim is to introduce you to stories with Paralympians that will spark confidence in your everyday life. Stories of challenges, ups and downs, determination and excellence. This season will focus on mental health and how to deal with setbacks Get to know the true power of having the right team behind you and join us as we prepare you for what's ahead. I hope you're enjoying this series so far featuring interviews with the likes of Millie Knight, Anastasia Pagonis and Summit Antil. This time my guest is one of the toughest winter Paralympians out there. German Clara Klug combines cross-country skiing with target shooting as she goes in hunt of medals in the biathlon. And she does all that despite not being able to see. So where does she find her mental strength? And who are the support team behind her sparking confidence? Now, just days after we recorded this conversation, Clara actually fell and injured her arm while skiing, ending her World Cup and World Championship season and threatening her 2022 Paralympic dreams. So she'll need that support team more than ever. Clara, we wish you all the very best for your return. Let's hear our chat now. Hello, Clara. Thanks for joining us. Now, you were born with your vision impairment. Can you explain to us what you can and can't see and how that affects your day-to-day life?
1: Oh, wow. That's hard to explain, actually. I, I've seen a little more when I was younger, and now it's getting worse and worse. So when I started seeing, I could probably, yeah, see people. I could see cars on the street, but I couldn't see them clearly. And my vision, my visual field got impaired more and more. So in the beginning, I had one dark spot right in the center of my visual field. So I couldn't see straight ahead. I could only see straight when I turned my head. So now it's mostly gone, my vision. On the right eye, I have one tiny little spot like on the Upper right field that I can see some light, but that's it. And on the left eye, I can still see some movement or sometimes shapes. It depends on how awake I am and how focused I am and how the lighting is. (laughs) There are so many factors. I learned how to walk with a head turned to the right, like I would look at the right, but I was actually looking straight ahead. So that always caused a lot of back problems. And right now my vision still helps me in my daily life when, I don't know, like when I walk outside and I see there's more light or less light, then I know, okay, maybe there's a house next to me or I can see the street or something like that. But I I can't see cars anymore or I never saw people's faces, for example. I could never really see that, but I could see where they were and I can still sometimes see when somebody's moving.
0: And we often hear it said that people with vision impairments, their other senses are perhaps heightened, their their other senses are better, stronger. Do you go along with that, for example? Do you have amazing hearing or can you sense people in a room, that kind of thing?
1: Well, I think you just concentrate more about it. Like my hearing is just normal when you do a normal hearing test. It's the same as for everybody in my age, but still um, I'm used to focusing on it more. So when I hear somebody move, I, of course, know there is someone and I can probably say, well, he's facing me or looking in another direction just because of the noises I hear. But that's something everybody can learn, I think. It's just that when you see the person, you don't have to hear it.
0: I'm sure you get asked this all the time, so sorry about this, but it is fascinating. Tell us, how does the shooting work in the biathlon when you can't see the targets?
1: It works auditive. So you've got headphones and a rifle that's no real rifle. There is (laughs) nothing coming out in front except a laser thing. It's all electronic. So the target and the rifle are connected via a computer system. And depending on where you're aiming, you get another beep sound. So when you're completely off the target, it only makes knock 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 and the closer you get to the target it gets faster and higher like duh, 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 and then it, it's one beeping sound and the highest of those beeping sounds is the center so we only shoot laying down we don't stand up and the rifle is already at the shooting range we don't carry it around with that be- with us because it's all with cables and all that and We've got the headphones, which are really important so we can hear the sound. So, Martin, my guide, is directing me towards the rifle, and I lay down, take the headphones, and then you get five shots and you get a really bad noise if you miss the target, like, and then you get a high, friendly sound that you hit the target.
0: Oh, that sounds brilliant. I would love to have a go at that. I mean, I I do have no hands, Clara, so I have a different set of things to get over in terms of having a go at it. But I'd love to try it out with the different noises and sounds in your ears kind of leading you towards the target. Somebody told me that you actually hear the shooting sounds sometimes when you're dreaming. Is that true?
1: Yes, of course. When I I dream of shooting, I hear the noise, of course. And I can like when sometimes uh, electronic device make those beeping sounds for some reason i can hear the right frequency
0: (laughs) wow (laughs) you just can't get away from it so you've had your vision impairment as i said since birth you've lived with it you've grown up with it so do you think you are a mentally strong person because of that
1: yeah i have my good days and i have my bad as everybody i think i am strong in the way that i like giving up is no option for me. In daily life, there are so many situations where I really want to give up like all the time and just stay where I am, sit down and cry.
0: Such as? Do you have any examples of those in in everyday life?
1: Well, for example, like we have those e-scooters staying around all over town. I don't know if you have them. You can just take and ride wherever you want. And then just park them wherever you want. And that's the problem. Because when I leave my home, I go out and on the pavement, I know there might be some of these e-scooters. And this e-scooter, yeah, makes life really hard because I hit my leg or I even fall over it or whatever. And then, yeah, when you start like that in the day and you know, there's the whole day coming, then you're just like, okay, I'm going to turn around, go back and go in my bed and don't do anything today. But that's no option because if I would do that, then my life would be over and boring and yeah, really sad, I guess. So I'm angry and I get up and say, well, okay, I need to tell somebody that this stupid e-scooter is staying around and somebody has to take it and yeah, bring it somewhere else so I can at least come home without hitting it again. So I'm really focused on solutions and that's just one example of daily daily life. Like with the with the whole COVID situation, for example, there are so many people yelling at me because I can't keep the distance because I can't see them. But they see a young woman not keeping the distance and say, "Well, what what are you doing?" Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Yeah, well, I can't see. You can, so please." Keep the distance. <laughs> but that's really hard on your mind when you're actually trying to focus on practice or on an on com- upcoming competition or something. So you always have to push that aside and say, well, it's just the way it is. Keep going because not keeping going is no option. And it adds up. Like it also mentally adds up. Like one of those e scooters, it doesn't really affect my day, honestly. But five of them a day. <laughs> and there might be the point where you say, "Okay, I do not go to practice anymore. I turn around and go home.
0: And how do you react when there are things that you can't do or or perhaps when you come up against negative attitudes from from other people?
1: I kind of learned to not excuse myself. Like I tend to excuse myself. Like someone is yelling at me for not keeping the distance, and I go, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I can't see. i'm I'm really sorry." but that's not the right reaction because then I'm harming myself too. (laughs) So I try to stand up straight and say, well, that's just the way it is. I'm sorry for not keeping the distance, but it's not my fault. And that's the same way with other things. Like I'm, a lot of time I'm angry and I'm sad that I can't do things, but I try to yeah, again, focus on the solution and say, is there a way that I can do it? Or is there not? And if there's not, then I just try to accept it. But that's really hard.
0: It takes a lot of mental strength, though, doesn't it? To, as you say, just to, you know, go out every day, just to keep a smile on your face when some of those things happen. So you, you must have a, an inner strength of some kind that you've built up by by growing up with this vision impairment.
1: Well, oftentimes it's just fake it till you make it. And my family (laughs) knows a lot about that because I'm really good in faking it in the outside. And then I come home and my family gets the whole blame because I know they love me and I know they support me. So I feel safe. And when I feel safe, I kind of, sometimes I just break. And like when the whole day was crappy because of the e-scooters and the people and whatever, And then I come home and my family does one thing wrong, then I explode. So I think my family is helping me a lot with that. And they helped me building the strength. And yeah, I try to put all that in my sport too. And try to learn from those situations, I guess.
0: And we're going to hear from your sister, Pia, later on. But how do your family pick you up in those situations? Because it's not just a case of sort of being there when you get home. They must have to say or do things to to help you out of, of those feelings of anger and sadness.
1: Well, oftentimes it's just being there. Because in my family, I'm just normal. And they know what I can and what I can't do. So like for my sister she's four years younger than I am. So she grew up with my disability, the same way I grew up with my disability. For her, it's just normal. And she just takes me as I am. And she also says, hey, don't don't explode on me because I'm not the target. So she just tells me not to freak out. And sometimes she lets me freak out and just says, well, I'm sorry you had a crappy day. I'm just going to tell you something else. I'm just going to tell you about my crappy day. (laughs) Um, And treat you as equal. And I think that's really important. My family always treated me as equal and not as being disabled. And um, that helps a lot because you know you're accepted.
0: And actually, there's something quite unique about that sibling relationship, isn't there? That your your parents can be supportive, your friends can be supportive. But actually having a brother or a sister who is there with you, you know, basically every day growing up. That's an incredibly important role that Pia played for you, isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course. And I always say she's the best assistant you can get because she doesn't think about it. She just does it. And oftentimes she assists me or helps me before I even know that I need to be assisted. So, (laughs) And that's, of course, like I love going on vacation with her. I love going on vacation with friends too, but with friends, it's always, yeah, not that easy because I have to explain myself and I have to tell them, well, I can't or do this or please assist me with that. And Pierre doesn't have to ask. So it's a real, yeah, good relationship, I think. And also my parents, they had to figure out how to do it with a blind kid. Like for them, there didn't exist blind kids until their own kid was blind. So they had to learn all that. My sister, she never had to learn it. And I think it's different for older siblings. Like when she, When she would have been older than I was, then she would have probably more trouble with it. But as she's younger, she just grew with it.
0: And can Pia spot when you're faking it, as you said earlier, when you're, when you're putting on a brave face to the outside world? Can can Pia and your family see through that? And actually, I guess, I guess actually that is a family thing, isn't it? Your friends might not spot that.
1: Yeah, most friends probably won't, even those who know me really for a long time. But the same goes f- the other way. Like when Pia is sad, I can hear it in her voice. Doesn't matter what she's saying; I can just hear it.
0: And actually, I mean, and I, I think I feel like I can ask you this because I have a younger sister who's not disabled either. You know, I'm disabled; she isn't, and I sometimes feel a bit guilty because I, I growing up, probably got a lot of the attention, and if I did something well, uh, not within our family, I don't think, but if I did something well, you know, teachers or or other people we knew would maybe give me more credit for something that she did well if you know what i mean do you ever feel that and if and if you feel that do you ever feel kind of guilty about that
1: yeah a lot of times because the attention is always on me still now we're both adults and still outsiders not my parents but outsiders are always asking how's clara doing how is she wow it's so amazing she's living by herself wow her sports whatever my sister she's got the the best Uh, graduation she is studying medicine she's volunteering a lot she's babysitting all the time she's working studying doing sports volunteering I don't know how she's fitting that all that in one day and still everybody's just asking how's Clara doing how's her guide dog doing it's always more important and I think that's really unfair and oftentimes I'm I don't think it's upsetting her as much as it's upsetting me most of the time And my parents always try to keep it even between us, but that's not even possible because I still need more assistance. So I need more attention most of the times. Like when, when she she's still living with my parents, but when she will move out, they won't do the grocery shopping for her. For me, they do. (laughs) I'm 27 years old. I can do my only, my, my own grocery shopping. They probably won't do it for her. So of course, I feel guilty for that a lot. And I always say um, the disability is not only with the disabled person, the disability is with everybody who is around the disabled person, and especially with the family. So you asked me beforehand if Pia had any disabilities. And I was almost about to say yes, my disability. <laughs> because of course, she grew up with it. And I went to the US for 10th grade. And I don't know, like two or three months later, my mom and I, we talked on Skype and she said, I didn't know that beforehand. By now, I know you took the disability with you and our life is just completely different. And of course, it sounds hard, but actually, it's just honest.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, that's really, really interesting to me, especially when I hear that. Cause I think, yes, I, I you know, as I say, I empathize with your situation and that's a that's a really great way of describing it well at least we can give we can give pia some some attention in this podcast because we're, we're going to hear from pia now let's get to know who is behind clara for what's ahead then brought to you by allianz a long-standing and now worldwide paralympic insurance partner of the international paralympic committee we're introducing you to the people behind the paralympians the ones that spark their confidence and help them prepare for what's ahead as we know, in Clara's case, that's her younger sister, Pia, who told me what she does to help big sis.
2: So it's like more in the like normal days, like we go shopping together, for example, because that's something she can't do. I help her find stuff. I sometimes help her with the computer stuff because there are some websites where she can't use them by herself. So that's what I did a lot. And then doing her studies when she was in university, I helped her with the stuff she can't read because it was just on paper or in some way she can't read it with her computer so that was something we did a lot but the normal stuff you and I'm doing she can do it by herself so that's what my parents try to uh, teach her so that's why I don't have that much what I'm actually doing for her
0: and do you think you've actually become more aware of disability in general, you know, not just with Clara, but when you uh, encounter disabled people in your ordinary life, perhaps where you work or where you live, do you feel like you have a greater understanding of those people because of growing up with Clara?
2: Yes, I do think that because like I just talk to them like they are normal. Like for me disability is nothing so special, so and I think that's something really good because like even if you have like a disability, that's nothing about your person. So when She's going to her sports. Like, like sometimes I go with her when she's in training or something and there are other disabled people. So it's so like people in wheelchairs or something. And that's just normal for me and I help them too. So I think it's something I learned during the time with Clara. Everybody is similar for me. It doesn't matter if they are disabled or not.
0: And because you've always had Clara growing up uh, it, it strikes me that children if children are exposed to disability early on when they're young they just accept it more don't they I know some children will be will be nasty occasionally but I think in general children are more accepting of disability than adults
2: Yeah, I think so, too, because like children don't think about that stuff. Like I said before, it was just normal for me since I was born. So if you get to know disabled people just when you're older, you think about everything. And for me, I don't think about it. It's just, okay that's something she can do, but I don't care about it. And I think that's something children think this way and not adults.
0: And what was Clara like then uh, growing up? Was she always mentally strong?
2: Yes, she was. <laughs> she did like everything she wanted to do. And she like never let her disability do anything in her normal life. She just did what every other kid is doing. So she went to a normal high school and then she went to sports. She went with her friends. She just went to go shopping or go to a cinema or everything. another people are doing. And like I said, in the beginning, she even went to the US. So like everybody else is doing. So she was always really strong.
0: So perhaps it's no surprise then that she's ended up being an athlete and competing against other people.
2: Yeah, I think that's also something that she learned because she always had to like, compete with her own life, if I can say that. And so I think that's something she learned with her disability. And that's, I think it helps her with her sports.
0: And you're her support system. You're the person behind her amongst other people, of course. So how do you help her get through those tough periods?
2: We talk a lot, and when she's gone, we call her and we just talk to her and keep her smiling, and I think that helps her. And we always make a lot of fun together, and then she's happy again, and I think that helps her with bad days.
0: And does she tend to bounce back from, from those difficult times relatively quickly?
2: When something was bad, then I think in the next day, everything is fine again. I remember the first race in the Paralympics last time, she did really, like, bad she even fell down and everything, but then we talked to her and then she just said, "Okay, tomorrow is going to be better." And that's what I think she's always saying: next time it's going to be better, and this time wasn't good, but it's okay. And I keep going, and that's—I think that's what she's doing a lot.
0: Yes, and that's a that's a great quality to have, isn't it? Particularly when you're an athlete,
2: it is. And I think you have to have this quality because if you're like always sad, if a race isn't good then I don't think you can go through all these competitions because there's always like a race that doesn't work like you want it to.
0: Has Clara's mindset and mental strength influenced you in your own life?
2: Yes, I think so. In my own life, in my studies or something, if something isn't going that good, I see, okay, she's doing the same and she had a hard time and then I helped her and so she's helping me and I I think I learned a lot from her.
0: Does she spark confidence In you, you know, when you see what she does, does it make you think, okay, well, if she's doing that with no no vision or very limited vision, then I can be doing, you know, X, Y or Z of your own ambitions?
2: Oh, I never thought about that because like, I don't think like if she can do it with her disability, because I never think this way because she's just doing it and I don't care about her disability. We help each other and then I'm a little bit stronger too, but I don't compare us that much because it's something so different.
0: Clara and I have both had siblings who have grown up with our disability, but obviously there will be people out there who have brothers or sisters or family members who have acquired a disability because of an accident or an illness, and that's come along unexpectedly. What kind of advice would you give to those siblings as to how to deal with that situation and how to be still a, you know the supportive brother or sister they need?
2: They should just think about their brothers or sisters just like as the same person that they have been before the accident and that like a disability it doesn't matter if you have a disability sure you need some help and then it's always good to help people and it's hard sometimes because it's hard to learn when you should help and when not that's something we always have to figure out between Clara and me so that's something they have to learn and just keep trying to help them but don't think they can do nothing. I think that's really important, like let them just do their thing and help wherever you can but not too much and then just think if they are like the same persons like before.
0: So, Clara, that's your sister, Pia, who sounds like a very special person indeed. Let's talk about another part of your support system now, though, the techniques you use to develop the mental endurance required for the biathlon event. Some sports people use things like visualization or they set themselves goals. I know you do a lot of yoga, for example. So are there techniques that you use to kind of help you stay at the top?
1: Yeah, that's something I do. For me, it helps a lot. I like yoga a lot because it's not about winning. It's just about you and your body and just focusing on breathing or whatever. So that helps me a lot because it's not about winning, and also I have a mental coach, She uh, Maria Kress. She was a wheelchair basketball athlete. She helps me a lot with sorting my thoughts kind of because I tend to think things through over and over and over and <laughs> don't get to an end. And she helps me focusing on the, yeah, again, on the solutions <laughs> or focusing on what's important in the moment. Also setting goals, I think that helps doing tiny steps, not always the big steps. And then I do a lot of visualization, which might, might sound a little weird because I'm blind, but I still have a lot of pictures in my head. And they might not be real pictures, but for me, they are. So I can visualize a good race. I can, I can when I know the track when I know the competition course, I can just go through it in my head from the beginning to the end. And I can visualize how I'm supposed to shoot or how I want to shoot. And I can also visualize what it feels like when I win. And that helps a lot, actually, because then you kind of get your thoughts sorted.
0: And is your mental coach, Maria, also there from a mental health point of view to make sure that actually you know you're doing all you can to get better at your sport but equally you're also well you know you're not doing yourself damage by wanting to win so much
1: yeah she is kind of helping me with that she isn't a professional psychologist but she's a mental coach so she knows a lot about those things I'm at the moment well over the last year I'm in therapy uh, with a a certified psychologist, which helps me a lot for the, yeah, and actually mental health, because the combination of becoming blind over 27 years and doing competition sports is kind of hard on the mental health. So for me, I've done therapy before when some years ago, that was more for mental strength during becoming blind <laughs> but that's still an issue sometimes and also the sport and the mental health during sport and the weight issues or whatever um, what all athletes no matter if, whether they are Paralympic or Olympic athletes yeah have those issues I guess and it helps me a lot to have professional help with that.
0: So you have quite the full team behind you for what's ahead. And it's interesting that you've made space for people who can help you on the mental side of things, as well as people who can help you on the physical aspects of sport. And that's actually something we're seeing much more of with athletes, aren't we?
1: Yeah, and I think that's really important. It's not that much a topic in Paralympic sports as it should be, because it should be in Every sports life and uh, every athlete's life should be a great part because the mental strength is so important for a good physical appearance. <laughs> Otherwise, it probably, yeah, you can practice as much as you want, but if your head says no, you won't win anything. So, for me, that's really important. I think in the Paralympic boards, people often forget that we do have those disabilities and they don't only disable us during competition, but we take it home (laughs) and we have it every day and every minute of every day. So that's something coaches often forget about. And they just say, well, physically, I'm not that impaired. I can run, I can walk, I can lift weights, I can do everything. Why shouldn't I practice as much as someone who can see?
0: For anybody listening, would you recommend making space in your life to have somebody to help you with mental health?
1: I think it's important to have something to help you with mental health. If that's for you is doing some handy work, well, then do that. (laughs) If you have fun with that and get to think about your office job, And it's something different and you can calm your mind during that, then that's perfect. And if you then still have one person to talk about things, that's even more important. I talk about stuff with so many people. For me, talking is really important. Talking things through is important. My boyfriend gets a lot of that. He has to talk things through with me thousands of times, but still psychologist probably knows better how to react on things and knows how to distance herself from what I'm saying. And that's something a partner or sibling or the parents can't do because they are always involved. So I think it's really important to have someone besides your family to talk about those things and to have something that, yeah, helps you focus. Like for me, it's yoga, And to accept that your mind isn't something different than your body, I think, because nobody says when you have a broken arm, nobody says, well, deal with it. And that's it. They all say, well, you have to take care about it. You have to go to physical therapy or whatever. But when your mind is upset, then everybody is weird about it. So I think psychologists should be a normal part like you go to the dentist before something happens <laughs> most of the times but you don't go to the psychologist before something happens that's weird
0: well listen it's been brilliant to uh, speak to you and, and, and your sister pia as well it's uh it's been really wonderful to hear from you both and thanks for giving us the time and and all the best at the winter paralympics
1: thank you so much
0: Well, I found both Clara and Pia to be so impressive there in their outlook on life and the way they support each other in different ways for what's ahead. And Clara was so modest when she spoke about biathlon because it's a sport that demands both physical and mental strength as well as speed and skill. And once again, we wish Clara well recovering from injury sustained in a fall after we recorded this podcast. Our next episode will be quite special and a first for a winning mindset. I'll be speaking to a Paralympic and Olympic couple, a disabled and non-disabled couple, in fact, in Canadian ice hockey players Billy Bridges and his wife Sammy Joe Small, who are a team at home and have both been in incredibly successful winning teams on the ice. Before then, please do subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts.